your podcast is amazing, particularly <laughs> the one with Misha Tramp from Metia. Um, but actually, your Hello and welcome to episode 63 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host Ian Truscott and this podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career as a marketing leader and trusted advisor and share some marketing street knowledge that will bring out the Rockstar CMO in you. Come say hello. You can find this podcast and me at Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday, 21st of May. Lockdown is easing here at the Rockstar CMO penthouse. And I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. In today's episode, Jeff Clark returns for Want to Watch One Hit Wonder or Wonderwall. My guest is my friend, Misha Tramp, VP of Strategy and Insight at Metia. And I'm delighted to finish the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, for a chat and a cocktail. Right, let's get started, shall we? On to our first segment, Jeff Clark, Rockstar CMO advisor and former research director for Serious Decisions for Forrester, is back for One to Watch, One Hit Wonder or Wonderwall. Let's see what's hot or not in the world of marketing this week. Hello, Jeff. How are you? Very good. I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, The weather here continues to be unpredictable which is wonderful but i also managed to get out this week and take advantage of the fact that we're now allowed to go back into pubs yay <laughs> yes <laughs> i went we went to one last night ourselves after a wow. day out wow. and we've got some actually very hot temperatures around here we're hitting the 80s nice getting close to the 30s in centigrade um which for mid-may is a Pretty bit good. unusual <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're we're on the other end we're unusually cold but right. we're not here to discuss the weather are we i always end up discussing the weather this is the, this is, i know from having done the interviews for this week that this will be the second weather discussion on this show <laughs> <laughs> in the order that we've recorded them and i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if there's a third one <laughs> yeah we are <laughs> Well, it's that time of year. Weather's important yes, this time of year. Absolutely. So this week uh, on um, on One to Watch, One Hit Wonder or Wonderwall, the title of this se- segment gets longer every week. I need to keep trying to remember it. Soon this whole segment will just be the title. Um, we, uh, we wanted to talk about focus and something I saw pop into my Twitter feed uh, just this very day is that Forrester have coined the phrase marketing orchestration. And I'll read you what they're uh, defining it as. An approach to marketing that focuses not on delivering standalone campaigns, but instead on optimizing a set of related cross-channel interactions that, when added together, together. make up an individualized customer experience. <sighs> oh, my God. Yes. Oh, or I should say OMG. <laughs> Down with the cool kids. So. Uh, As I usually do when I toss this over to you, what say you, Jeff? Well, I say, you know, the problem with 
the term. So it, they seem to be writing this term marketing orchestration. Mm-hmm. And and I think there's a problem that's kind of twofold. twofold. One is it gets kind of confused with technology because as we've discussed in a number of these episodes, you know, the whole thing about customer experience orchestration, um, there's, you know, multi-channel marketing orchestration, uh, you know, which I I think, you know, Gartner coined that term. And those all get focused on a set of technology um, and, you know, trying to create a category, et cetera. So that, so, you know, we don't want to confuse good planning and strategy with, with technology, a technology term. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that <clears throat> it's just what, when you read that, that, that sentence, it's just, well, that's just marketing with some forethought and planning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is, which is, I mean, I'll, I'll include a, a link to this particular, um, this, this tweet conversation, Twitter conversation or thread, I think is the right word. Um, and uh, basically that's what everybody's saying is that this is just marketing. It's just marketing. Yeah. And yeah. And it's, and, and, so, but it does it does get us back to you know the issue of focus and and um, you know because I think you know, one of the keys to marketing you know it's like they say the key to real estate is location 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 the key to marketing is focus 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 it, it really you know, it's too easy for marketers to just move into execution mode and I know mm-hmm. we've been involved in you know it's like you don't get the company strategy until you know one month into the quarter, you've got yeah. events planned, you've got things going on. You don't want to be too late on trying to hit, you know, your lead and pipeline goal, whatever, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so it's like marketers, you know, being a good executors, you know, we know, we know how to run events. We know how to run webcasts, do emails, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. We just want to go in execution mode. And, um, and it's not enough to just say, you know, what's, you know, we, we have revenue goals or whatever. It's like, well, okay, we, you've got a revenue goal, but what, what is it that the company is trying to do to, to get to those goals? And if we're just going into, into that execution mode, you know, it's, it's, it's not only inefficient for marketing, it's not, it won't be aligned with any of the other functions in the, you know, in the company, mm-hmm. you know, like sales and product and customer support, et cetera. And, and it's not likely that the results we're going to get are, or anything people are going to care about. <laughs> Actually, right. I remember back to the conversation, I think, you know, before I started coming on this podcast that you had with Grant Johnson about uh, mm-hmm. marketing contribution, understanding what the executive team, you know, is trying to accomplish mm-hmm. and then say, what's marketing's contribution toward that? And that's, mm-hmm. you know, every, you know, every CMO really should be, one, they should be involved in what the company strategy is. Mm-hmm. Whether they're driving it, whether they're influencing it, whether they're just there as it's being, you know, developed, they need to, to have a role and then they need to be able to, you know, translate that back to the marketing department. So, you know, company strategy typically it should be, you know, a three, four or five year view as to what we're trying to do from a grow, you know, get sold, <laughs> whatever yeah. We become yeah. more profitable, yeah. whatever, you know, whatever it is. And, and so the CMO should be, be able to turn to the marketing leadership team uh, and say, okay, this is the strategy. How's marketing you know, going to support that? And, and, you know, which gets to another truism, you know, it was talking about focus, 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 but the other truism is, you know, failing to plan is planning to fail. Yeah. And it, I've just been in way too many, 
organizations. I've been talking recently to too many organizations <laughs> where that whole that whole element of strategy and planning just is 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 absent. And and so you know you know what what marketing should be doing is is thinking about okay if if there are particular you know customer segments i mean however the organization tries to define its its segments you know are are we looking at regions are we looking at you know small business enterprise mid market are we looking at uh you know we we deal with different industries so we're into manufacturing da 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 and it's like so those are those are our you know are addressable markets and what is it we're trying to do in each one of those things and what can marketing do to help meet the company goals of whether it's driving revenue or becoming more profitable. And, and it's a, I mean, it is, it's, it, it, it's so often when I would deal with, with, with clients back when I was at Forrester Serious Decision, it's like, okay, these are the things you need to think about. This is where you need to get the customer, the company strategy. This is how you align with sales and and so often it would be like, oh, we can't do that. <laughs> and it'd be like, well, you can't do that, but you yeah, know, but what? Right. <laughs> but, right. There, there, there's an awful lot there to unpack that you just said there, Jeff. So it started off with the CMO needs to be hooked into the executives. So that's the tail end of this thing, right? Is that is that that you're saying that that if we if we're talking about this sort of um, marketing orchestration term. I was do, using the air quotes there. Is is that that needs to come down from the CMO from his connection with what the company is trying to achieve? Is that what you're saying there? Yes. Yeah. I mean, so the 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 so and I could um, I'll, I'll go on a little bit of a tangent to come back to that yeah. in, in a second, but it is it absolutely is that the everything that a marketer should be doing should be in the context of what the company is trying to accomplish. Yeah, that just go, goes without saying. So, how's the marketer supposed to know? I mean, if I'm in a, if I'm in my little agile team and I'm, you know, working off a backlog of creating web, uh, you know, pieces of the website or whatever, mm-hmm. or am I running an event and I'm, I'm, you know, negotiating about, you know, event space or whatever? It's like I should yeah. know what the context of what I'm trying to accomplish, uh, the context that I'm trying to accomplish these things is in. Yeah, and and so one of the things that that uh, you know, I used to, and one of my colleagues talked about at at um, at uh, Serious Decision was campaign strategy, and we were trying to sit, get people to say, you know, if you just if you just focus at that tactic level, and oftentimes that tactic is called a campaign. Like if you're setting mm-hmm. if you're setting up an email or something in 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 your CRM system or your marketing, mm-hmm. that's a campaign. And it's like, well, that's yeah. not really a campaign. The campaign yeah. should be this broader context of. We're going after, um, you know, advanced manufacturing and we need to yeah. get new customers and we need to, uh, you know, improve our brand. We need to drive revenue, blah, yeah. blah, blah, whatever it is. We need to engage these accounts, what, whatever that is. It's like, OK, now that that's a campaign because that's something that marketing, sales, product teams, customers, whatever you can rally around and say, this is our plan to right. to whether we're breaking into or increasing our footprint in the manufacturing. Yeah. And so the problem that we often have is now that's a campaign. And yeah. and then people say, well, that's not what we call a campaign. So you get into this kind of word soup yeah. problem. Yeah. And the other thing is that is that to say to to just say that that this is how we're defining campaign 
almost makes it not sound as important as it is. Right. Um, but it it is, you know, so people use the initiative program. And it's kind of like, well, you don't mm. want to get, get hung up on the word soup as much as the fact that say, you know, the average company only has so many segments they're focused on and you need to get everybody behind what our goals are in each segment. Mm-hmm. And marketing should be looking at its, you know, goals and objectives in the context of the company goals and objectives. And that helps us work all the way down to what are the pages I'm putting on the website and who am I optimizing my targeting and my personalization for. So, so going back to that statement you read, it's like, it's not wrong. It's Uh just that that's what marketing is all about. Yeah, absolutely. So, but do you think um, that, the what they're trying i mean i know knowing forrester it's probably to define some sort of software category or 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 something rather than a discipline within marketing perhaps but do do you think it is important that people think about what they're doing in terms of marketing orchestration that it actually is a defined discipline that a cmo needs to spend part of his day on or is it just marketing (laughs) (laughs) well yes it is it is just it is marketing and, mm-hmm. and, and the, you know, back when we, I said one of the problems from as the term marketing orchestration is mm-hmm. it does get confused with the, uh, with the technical execution mm-hmm. or the technology. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's where, you know, there's the, there's the things you plan. It's like, so we're going to go off and we're going to do whatever the, the events and, you know, outbound and inbound, et cetera. Uh, and we're going to set our website up to serve customers, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then there's the the customer who has his own journey, which, you know, he orchestrates in a kind of willy-nilly yeah. fashion. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And and the ideal, you know, nirvana is when the two just like, boom, they come together. We planned yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and 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 the and, and we're actually meeting the customer. We're giving them the content they want. And we're, we're in the places that they're looking for information. Mm-hmm. And the plan is giving all of the people in marketing the context so that if they're trying to be, you know, agile or they're trying to just, you know, uh, spin on a dime because they because there's some things that they some things aren't working and they need to try new things out, then they at least know the context within how they're going to be within that, how they're going to be successful. That's a really good word in this situation, isn't it? Context in that if you do have a plan, a marketing plan or um, marketing orchestration in place, <laughs> then then everybody knows their place in that and, and everybody has a context in which they're operating, don't they? Correct. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Like, I mean, an or- it's like an orchestra. The yeah. CMO is the conductor. Yeah. But maybe it's more of a jazz orchestra. <laughs> so there's a little leeway to <laughs> I love marketing to teams, I know. It's definitely jazz because all the – I mean, they're all playing – they're all they're all they're individually they're playing the same song they're just uh, not all the same they're not all playing the same <laughs> well it's not all it's not all it's not all written out like a you know like but a fine the, beethoven piece where every little note and yeah in you in, know intonation is yeah on a well, piece of paper be, for me i don't want to be rude about jazz but certainly, <laughs> certainly <laughs> that is a, that is a looser form of marketing than that that's been orchestrated shall we say correct um, so uh, this brings us to the uh, long title of this segment of whether we need to decide whether this is actually 
a um, one to watch? Is this a new thing that Forrester have invented that we must pay attention to? Is it uh, a one-hit wonder and that this will just go away and everybody will just say, oh, well, this is this is just marketing and we should be just doing this anyway? Or is it Wonderwall and a thing we must slavishly follow forever now? I think the term, so we're talking mm. about the term is mm-hmm. it's a one-hit wonder. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I frankly wouldn't even see it catching on, um, mm. but because of some of the conflicts that we mentioned earlier, but, um, yeah. but it, it is just marketing. So, right. you know, so, you know, fancy new terms be damned. Yes. <laughs> and it's not the first time that uh, the terms have been and gone with Foster. I remember years ago when uh, there was a big, they, they were talking about persuasive content. That was going to be a new term and yeah, that all went away. Uh, anyway, that's, uh, <laughs> but uh, They weren't uh, very persuasive, were they? <laughs> no, indeed. And, uh, and I regret uh, registering that domain now. But anyway, the, <laughs> I've had that for years. Um so if we're going to go for a one-hit wonder, Jeff, have you looked through your dusty old record box and have you got something for us to slot into the machine here? <laughs> yes, that's right. I went through the discs <laughs> and, I, and I, uh, I found from 1979 Funky Town nice. by, by Lips Inc. or Incorporated. Uh, yes. I, don't know, I don't know what their official title is. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's somebody who's trying to make a move and they just keep talking about it and talking about it. And so I think that the, you know, the, the word of the day is just to talking about it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Cause I also like the fact that you don't only find these, uh, one hit wonders, but they're also relevant to the topic. It's a tough job. Jeff, I tr- it there. is really tough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll play out to funky town by lips ink, lips ink. Yes. Lips. Ink. Right. They may have. They, you know, all, they may have lip sync. <laughs> all right, and I know that uh, I am not going to see you next week because we're going to move this slot to well, with you anyway, to a monthly thing. So um, let, let if, if the if the listeners have any suggestions for what they'd like us to talk about, or if if there's a petition that demands that you come back every week, Jeff, and they have less less of me. Well, then we should respond. Well, and, and, and we, uh, as we get into the summer, we get into planning season for mm-hmm. next year. So we could, yeah. we could move on to a planning theme or, or yeah. some sort. Certainly people are interested in other things along those lines. Yeah. They should send the cards and letters in or yes, emails absolutely. or absolutely. tweet. <laughs> well, I'll include all the links in the show notes. And so there you go. Marketing orchestration is a one hit wonder. Thank you very much, Jeff. See you soon. Awesome. See ya. Cheers, buddy. Bye-bye. you jeff we should be orchestrating our marketing that's just marketing but marketing orchestration the term is a one-hit wonder and we played out with lip sync and funky town from 1979 if you agree let us know if you don't i would still love to hear from you we are rockstar cmo on linkedin and twitter as you heard jeff is taking a few weeks off he's actually focusing on his other passion his climate change work not something we've discussed here but if it's something you feel passionate about look jeff up on linkedin i will of course include links to jeff and his work in the show notes 
Right, on to this week's guest. Misha Tramp, VP Strategy and Insight at Metia, a British-born Seattle adoptee, is a 20-year veteran of using data to drive strategy and innovation. I've known Misha for a decade. She is my go-to expert on such things. Misha is a successful entrepreneur and was one of the early adopters of gaining insight through social data, helping organisations become data-led. Since the dawn of these platforms, when her researcher instincts were quickly alerted to the value of what we're all sharing. Misha has advised them all from big corporates and non-profits and has a career built on studying the trends we see playing out in the media today. And today, she shares those insights with us. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Misha, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very excited to be here. This is actually my very first ever podcast. Yes, I, I hadn't realised that until we were chatting beforehand that I'm uh, breaking your, what, are, what would I be breaking? Your popping cherry? my cherry. Yes, popping your cherry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, it's wonderful. To, to, I've known you for so long and it's wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Misha. And you're joining us from Seattle. How is lovely Seattle this week? Raining, I presume. <laughs> Actually not. Well, we've had some amazing weather. Although today is a bit, uh, you'll be pleased to know, a bit cloudy, a bit grey, but uh, it's actually been really lovely. Yeah, I remember being in Seattle with you once and you were trying to convince me that it wasn't raining and I was getting wet. (laughs) (laughs) It's a myth. It's a myth. It's something Seattle likes to tell everybody to keep everyone away, so I keep being told. Yes. All right, so we're... um, Uh, so uh, two British people on a podcast talking about the weather, that, but that's not <laughs> why I invited you onto the show, Misha, and delighted to have you on, because um, I want to talk about, uh, uh, sorry, uh, I should let you introduce yourself. What is it that you do over there at Metia in Seattle, Misha? Yes, so I um, am the, I run our uh, strategy and insights practice for the business um, and uh, run a, have a team of uh, data scientists and ethnographers and market researchers to help keep us honest at Metia to make sure what we're doing is uh, we're data smart, as we like to say, for our clients, um, as well as running a lot of other independent uh, research projects. So that's what I do. Splendid, yeah. And it was about, it was about measurement that uh, I thought would be a great topic for today because, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about content marketing on the show. Um, I'm a passionate content marketer I guess uh, a content person I suppose I don't know how you describe me you, you you know it's a family show so no <laughs> but, um, it's always a challenge to, to to measure content marketing and I was really interested in something you've been talking about recently which is this content resonance system that Metia mm-hmm. offer what exactly is that well, just coming back to the, the question of what I think you're good at, because it does tie to <laughs> the content resident system. Well, it does. It's actually, rather than thinking about content as a series of outputs, right, things, thinking about content in the context of outcomes and conversations, yeah. right? And so when I think of you and I think of content, yeah. I think of someone who really understands how to drive a conversation, right? And so that's part of what spawned the content resident system is how do we, how do we help marketers and indeed other customer experience professionals drive more effective conversations with their customers right so that's where it came from mm-hmm. um and so you know it's as bloody obvious as it sounds you know the, the conversations are happening out there unfacilitated by us all the time yeah. then as an insights person you know my job is then to say well how can we 
harvest those, all of that lovely unstructured data, whether it's words, whether it's videos, whether it's podcasts, mm. whether it's pictures. How do we create some structure around those conversations, as we call them, versus content? Yep. And create some meaning out of that that means that someone like you um, is able to stay ahead of the curve in terms of where the zeitgeist is and what matters versus responding to something that happened last month, right? Because by the time the conversation is dominant, it's it's not a trend anymore, right? right? So that's really what it is. And we have a bunch of different tool sets that come with that, um, which, you know, I won't go into the detail of now, but... Really, that's what it is. It's structuring conversations, delivering insights to clients that mean that they can keep a pace with what audiences care about, right. um, make sure they're not writing me to content. And, and most importantly, I guess, is they're not, you know, producing lots and lots of stuff. Mm. Um, Which means being artists like to do. Well, exactly. what's, um, so when you're talking about um, relevancy there, what, how are you defining what, how our content is relevant to that audience? Yeah. Well, there'll be a little framework, actually, Ian, that you may or may not be familiar with called the three C's. Um, so, <laughs> um, so there are... From a presentation I made, God knows how many years ago, back in the yeah. day when me and you worked together. Yeah, I remember. Exactly, exactly. So for those of you who don't know, um, the three C's refer to, um, you know, all the pillars of conversational customer experience. It can apply to anything, really which is, you know, having the right content uh, for the right customer in the right context, right? So in terms of what that means for content resonance and how we do that, right? So let's say, for example, you say, Nisha, I want to understand all the things people are talking about in relation to content marketing. Mm -hmm. So I will go online and through a series of, you know, sort of relatively sophisticated at this point keyword searches, Mm -hmm. I will get you a data set about everything everybody's saying about content marketing. Mm -hmm. And you might say, actually, I want to know on top of that how COVID has changed it. Yeah. So I say, okay, well, let's then go back to 2018. Yeah. So I'll get you a data set across all of that um, that, uh, uh, timeline. Then I'll say, which customer do you want me to understand? So, well, actually, I'm actually interested in what CMOs think about content marketing. So Mm -hmm. then I filter that data and say, I don't want – all of this other stuff. I only want CMO language. And yeah. again, that's, you know, not an easy task to identify a CMO online, but we do do that. Yeah. And then the third piece is, you know, once we've done all of that, we do, do our data science magic. We'll then compare that with what rockstarcmo.com is talking about. <laughs> we'll, we'll ingest all of your podcasts and everything you've published and go, okay, yeah. these are the 20 things you're talking about. Here yeah. are the 20 things they're talking about. And then apply a lookalike model. Yeah. Um, and then the final C on the context is I'm then able to say, well, actually, your podcast is amazing, particularly <laughs> the one with Misha Tramp from Metia. Um, but actually, your blogs suck. Right. Um, so, so that's how we do it, basically. Yeah. It's, a, it's it's not a complicated process, um, actually. Um, it's and all the data's there. We don't have to create any of it. But that that but that's the challenge for content marketing, isn't it? I mean, is that you're really sort of often shouting into the void. So how do you how do you measure that? But also, so you do a lot of work with B two B organisations, and mm-hmm. um, we we get our data from the sales guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How does how does this model work when you're in that environment and you're working with sales and you're working with marketing? And and does is this the is this the great arbiter within our organisation about what we should be talking about? 
Oh, I, I love that term, the great overload. Well, it is now. Um, <laughs> no, no, that's actually really, that's a really good way of putting it because actually what, what we have found is that um, it gives some credibility to marketing where it's needed. I mean, it's not always the case that sales and marketing have a, have a problematic relationship, but frankly, BT, it mostly is, right? Yeah. Actually, um, um, and so by having this very data-centric view of it, and also the fact that we're structuring conversations, we're not going in with mm. performance metrics, we're not going in with more surveys or focus groups. Yeah. When we go in and we say, we're hearing that business decision makers and enterprise are typically talking about these five things, the sales person goes, yeah, yeah, they are, because yeah. I'm having those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly you've got credibility to say, well, look, so we're going to create some content around it. Do you want to get involved? Yeah. So suddenly we've got in certain organizations, salespeople starting to blog, asking for sales enablement materials, yeah. right? So that that it's not such a hard line right. between sales and marketing anymore. Right. Um, where that feedback is bi-directional. So yeah, that that right. term so, is the perfect way of describing it. So you're enabling everybody in sales and marketing to be on topic. And not on topic yeah. in terms of something we would define in our ivory tower as marketers, but actually on topic with what people are actually talking about out there. So, so yeah. when um, and when you're doing this work, and I, I've heard you just talk about personas and and how you you can then look at the data from a persona perspective. Do you also then think about that? I mean, last week, for example, on the show, we were talking about intent marketing. We we're talking a lot about customer journeys and stuff. Is there an element of that to this as well? Yes. Yeah. I mean, interesting. Funnily enough, that is one of the areas that we're sort of moving into. So we do lots of journey mapping. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so one of the things that we can start to say is if we map uh, journeys topically. Yeah. Right. Versus as a buying journey or, as a, you know, yeah. don't think about it necessarily as much as time as thinking about it, the journey of a conversation. Yeah. Suddenly, when you map topics to that, you're able to predict where someone might be in a journey. Uh huh. Right, and then what? What right. to feed them next? What to discuss next? I know that's the question you were asking, but that's certainly yeah. something that we're doing a lot more of. And then you can start to see in which touch points, and even get really specific around. There's a lot of discussion around does long form content work yeah. anymore, for example. Um, you know, and because people try and use long form a lot for top of funnel, they're like, no, it's not working. No one's clicking. It's like, well, no, but. When you get to this part of the journey yeah, yeah. and they're about to spend 10 million bloody dollars, they do want something more in depth. So it can get very prescriptive because we're modeling the actual conversation and yeah. content. We're not asking, right, which yeah. gives a very different Yeah, result. and there's a lot of discussion, isn't there, about the fact that, that, that people haven't got time for content. Mm -hmm. But at that point where they want to make a purchase, absolutely have. I mean, yeah, yeah. I once wrote a blog post about it where I was looking at pickup trucks and um, I had all the con I didn't buy a pickup truck in the end, but I had all the time <laughs> in the world for every single piece of content I could find about pickup trucks. Um, uh, but um, asked me a few weeks later when I'd gone off the idea, no time at all. So we do make we do make time for content. And I, I really like that idea. So, so what you're doing is you're mapping the journey as somebody gets more interested in the topic and you're then their interest in the topic, therefore, is says something about where they are in the buying journey that way around exactly and yeah. what they're engaging with exactly to your point and if yeah. you're not just it's not just yeah you know you align what you're saying but also I mean think about it from a customer's perspective right they're about to invest 10 million dollars for you know in, in your software or whatever 
and all they can find is like a one minute blog. Yeah. That doesn't show that the brand cares, right? About, yeah, yeah. about the about the investment that they're making, right? Yeah. So you need to align your content investments based on the time investment and also right. the the credibility investment someone is about to make. So yeah, and I like the topical journey because also it doesn't necessarily factor in time. So one of the things I think are sometimes failures in nurture traps or whatever yeah. is it assumes everyone makes decisions at the same rate. And yeah. so when they see drop-offs, they go, oh, my gosh, we've got a leaky funnel. Yeah. You know, 50% of people aren't, you know, going on. Well, no, actually, it probably isn't. They're just – they're stuck in that part. Yeah. It's just because they're not getting to the next stage doesn't mean they're not still on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. You're trying to do something to them rather than facilitate a conversation. Yeah. And if you know, maybe that conversation is the one that takes eight months out yeah. of your 18-month sales cycle. Yeah. So that's, so that's one of the reasons that people respond well to this notion of topicality and a yeah. conversational journey because it better reflects how human beings and businesses make decisions. Yeah, yeah. And, and – um, yeah, so that doesn't that doesn't subscribe to a campaign cadence, then, does it? I mean, is the is the idea that um, is that we need to make sure that we're ready when somebody then chooses to be at that point in the conversation and self select? Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 and and become really good at targeting the knowing where how to get to the conversation when they are late in the journey and they're ready yeah. to convert, right? Yeah. Um, and frankly, also change the definition of conversion, which is a whole other conversation altogether. <laughs> but uh, but but to suggest that people can enter a journey and then you know demand a conversation after reading one bit of content, I would suggest is maybe a little unrealistic. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So but but yeah, if you understand the conversation you want to join, yeah. Right. It it really starts to shift how you approach right. where you place your investments. What, what about um, something that came up a few weeks ago um, when we were talking about um, customer journeys and stuff and, and, and content with Jeff Clark was we're talking about there's a handoff sometimes, right? Somebody becomes interested in something and thinks that'll be great for our company, but they're not the buyer. They're just an influencer. So then they hand off to somebody else. So you're, you need to sort of track an account. Can you track an account's interest? Does this make sense in something? Because the person that's going to take that next step and start to read the long form or whatever isn't necessarily going to be the person we individually originally identified. Is that is that something that's that's in the model? It's a great question. At the moment, the way that we're doing that is um, by comparing um, audiences, right? So if mm. we know that there's an ecosystem of C-suites, for example, um, all of whom make decisions together, we will take, let's take the content marketing one as an example. Yeah. Let's say I didn't narrow it to CMOs. Yeah. I basically said, I want everybody. Yeah. I'm not, well, the, and the only people I'm going to maybe screen out are marketing technology brands, mm -hmm. right? I don't want any of that stuff. I just want the conversation. Mm -hmm. What we can then start to do is look at the network of conversations between roles right, right, and how the topics they're engaging with are similar and different. Right. Um, over time, I anticipate we will, we, we, we do it on a small scale on an account yeah. basis, but that relies on everyone being active digitally. Yeah. But then um, you're breaking that model really, because it's not really, because my thinking there was a linear bias mm -hmm. journey, but if you're thinking about a conversation journey, you're having yeah. individual conversations with people. So it might, if you're an IT guy, you're not coming into the conversation necessarily until a bit later. And that doesn't matter if you're thinking conversation rather than. Exactly. Bias. Yes. 
I did, yes, I, I should have uh, I should have realized what you said just a moment ago. <laughs> Finally, got it. so but what and and then so that's from a from a content relevance perspective of what we're writing. But does this have an impact on how we measure the success of our brands and how we, you know, how we're perceived out there in the world? Yeah. So I mean, I think so. If you if you sort of ladder it all up, right, and you think about the fact that so many brands are now, you know, hiring chief storytelling officers, for example. Yeah, yeah. And they develop storytelling themes, and that has become mm. the way in which the brand sort of filters through everything that's being done, right? So yep. whether you're a product marketer, wherever you sit, you, yeah. everything has to be peppered with these conversation things, right? Yeah. Um, and increasingly, those are becoming values based, like sustainability, inclusion, yeah, all of those yeah. kinds of things that are about yeah. the brand values. Yeah. Um, stories are told by people, and stories are conversations, right? Yeah. So I think you know, to some degree, you know, I mean, we call it the content resonance system because we're we're using content as a proxy for what the brand stands yeah. for, which it is yeah. and it should be, yeah, because that's how I'm touching it, right? Even your people are content, yeah. Right. So your salespeople, your when you call the customer experience line, mm. all of those things have scripts. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. There's software now that records the conversations salespeople are having with people. Yeah. Right. That's all your all your content yeah. is a conversation and that therefore that can be structured. So so yeah, I feel very passionate about it, in case you couldn't tell, is that you know, <laughs> if, if our the conversations we have are a manifestation of our brand. Yeah. Whatever fancy, you know, wrapping we want to put around it. Yeah. If we're not, we're living it through the stories that we tell. Yeah. So you touch. I mean, yeah. I should be wrapping up because of the time, but I have one question there. You touched on values there, and I, and um, you know, I listen. Uh, I've I've got a, a book, um, Value Graphics by David Allison. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but he talks mm. about how it's actually values that bind us more than anything about our demographic, about our age, or um you know, what jobs we do or anything like that. It's more about we buy based on values. I'm not sure how relevant that is in B2B. I need to give that some thought. But is that something you see coming through your work as well in that in that um, you can see the sort of value things that people care about? And you talked about sustainability and stuff just a moment. Is that something that comes through in your work as well? Really, really strongly because we're measuring what people talk about organically and yeah. how audiences are making decisions organically. Yeah. So how you treat your employees is now up for grabs, right? And the pandemic definitely took care of that. You yeah. can't hide if you're not treating employees well. Yeah. Um, in B2B tech, sustainability is huge and it's now become a factor in decision making. There's actually a line item yeah. that says when you write your RF, you know, your response, yeah. we want to understand what you're doing about A, B, C, and D. Yeah. And you know, the dreaded um millennial world means that, you know, as they become more senior, mm-hmm. it's 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 they don't think of it even as a separate thing. It's not an initiative. It's yeah. part of the architecture of who they want to work with. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that organically comes through strongly. We're not looking for it. It's, yeah. it's coming to us because it's it, it's more and more and more important yeah no cool i'll um yeah i'll i'll have to recommend you that i mean you know every i mean as far as i'm concerned you are the the research and analytics person god in my life so i'm not going to suggest somebody <laughs> else's model but certainly that work by by um by david allison wow. the value graphic stuff is quite interesting um and he was yeah, i have to mention to he, he was on a chum of mine's podcast last last week i think keith so i have to say hello to keith because i know he listens um so <laughs> now i've done that um now i got one final question for you that i ask all of my guests uh it's about 
it's a regular feature. We have the Rockstar CMO swimming pool, our portal to hell for all the bullshit, snake oil, and overhyped <laughs> trends of marketing. What would you like to chuck in there? Yeah, I'm slightly cheating because we had a conversation about this earlier, but it really is uh, ghostwriting. <laughs> ghostwriting. Um, you know, obviously, I mean, which sounds hypocritical because I'm all about the data-driven resonance in aligning language, but, but I cannot tell you the amount of Franken content that we uh, that we yeah. score yeah. Um, that is not in anyone's authentic voice. It's better off being, you know, slightly rough and ready. Yeah. Because um, people, you know, it's for it to pass a sniff test, it's got to be got to be authentic. Well, uh, Data you, can't make stuff authentic. You've clearly read some of my writing, then. Rough and ready is is yeah, and, and, and I I I can't stand it. I mean, we were talking um, just before I started recording. I know, I know, I was having a conversation. Um, I was having a conversation at lunch today, and. I, I once worked with a CMO and uh, I was really interested in something that he had written and I'm using air quotes um, and you would know the guy as well. So I'm not going to say who it was. And, and I went yeah. um, uh, and I started asking him about it. I was in New York, living in New York and, and, I, and he'd flown over and, and I was that blog post you wrote and I asked him all about, he had no idea. I mean, he knew that there was a, he knew there was an article in his name out there in the internet but he had no idea about the topic. So, yeah, which he probably hadn't even published on his own profile. <laughs> so ghostwriting, uh, for all of those reasons, needs to go in our swimming pool. Thank you very much, Definitely. Nisha. It was, as ever, a pleasure. And um, really, I should invite you to the virtual Rockstar CMO bar because I know that's where we do our best work. So um, <laughs> for a cocktail. <laughs> Definitely. Anytime. But, but Anytime. for now, um, I'll have to say goodbye. Thank you very much, Nisha. And I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, Misha. Always fun to catch up with Misha. Fantastic insight there in thinking about the customer journey as a conversation rather than measuring it in time and ghostwriting in the swimming pool. What do you think? Let us know. I'll include all of Misha's links in the show notes and you can join the conversation at Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. Right, it's that time of the week. It's Friday evening and time to find out where my friend and content marketing guru Robert Rose would like to transport us to for a marketing thought and a cocktail in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. Good to see you here in the bar. Um, It seems these days I'm finding myself more in the bar these days. (laughs) uh, I might live here. I might actually, you know, maybe we can start a rumor on Rockstar CMO that that says he actually lives in the bar. Yes, yes. (laughs) He actually never leaves. And the piano (laughs) just keeps playing. He's always here, <laughs> tinkling away at the piano. <laughs> We're uh, actually allowed into bars now here in the UK. I I, we are here to too. Yeah, we yeah. are here in Los Angeles as well. It's been yes. um, it's been good. Um, tonight we have mm-hmm. a lovely. Uh, and speaking of being able to be uh, mm-hmm. in person, um, I'm calling tonight's uh, drink on uh, uh, at the bar here. I'm calling it the neighbor. And the reason I'm calling it the neighbor is because I actually had a neighbor over for a drink. 
mm-hmm. uh, in person, in real, without masks. And we clinked glasses and we didn't stand six feet apart. It was really wow. lovely. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's a wonderful rye whiskey, mm-hmm. um, which I'm just absolutely in love with these days, these rye whiskeys, um, a very small twist of grapefruit juice and then orange bitters. So it's kind of like an old fashioned, but not really. Um, and my neighbor who I made this drink for, um, really loved it. So I thought I'd make it tonight for us. Nice. Very nice. And uh, I like an old fashioned. So if it's, if it's familiar, if it's like an old fashioned, I'm, it's I'm kind of like an old fashioned, except it's rye whiskey instead yeah. of, you know, a bourbon or whatever. And, yeah. and it's grapefruit instead of orange. And I mean, there is some orange bitters in there, but, um, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know a great I think deal is it a very interesting twist. You're going to be shocked to learn that I don't know a great deal about whiskey, but, um, I, uh, I will attempt to make that same drink. Um, but I will start with, uh, let's see what I've got on my desktop bar. I have some Bombay Sapphire gin. Ah, uh, well, at least you're on the right brand of gin. Yes. I, that's, yeah. that's, that's a start. It is, yeah. uh, do we put ice in that? We do indeed. We put, I have, I, what I did was I put one large cube, which it just mm. sounded like you did not do, but. Um, no, I put um, in two little cubes. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's fine. I'm a rule breaker. You know that by now. Yeah. So there we go. I put some gin in, and what else did you put in there? Uh, well, you, there's, there's a little grapefruit and there's a little orange bitters, which I'm going to just, I'm going to take a wild ass guess to say <laughs> you have neither of those things. I don't. But I, I, the, you heard that hissing sound, which uh, emanating from that was the wonderful smell of some cucumber tonic water. I shall ah, just slip yes. a little bit of that in there. Does cucumber tonic water have a effervescent smell? Yeah, yeah, you can smell the cucumber. Ah, well, there you go. That's mm. how you know it's good. That's how you know oh. it's high quality when you, <laughs> when you can smell the cucumber. <laughs> Let me give this a try. That should be the tagline for the show. Smell the mm. cucumber. That, there you go. Oh, that's, yeah. Um, that drink's delicious, Robert. That's very yeah, nice. there you go. I could drink these every week. <laughs> I, it seems like you should. <laughs> well, sir, we're having these lovely drinks. Uh, and what was you, what did you call it again? I called this the neighbor and, mm. and in, only in celebration of the fact that I actually got to hang out with one. So mm, nice. Well, I got to hang out with a colleague this week. So maybe I should call mine or a colleague friend, I guess. Now I can say friend now that I'm meeting for social reasons. Not Yeah, there friends. you go. Yes. Uh, so um, whereabouts uh, shall we consume these drinks? Robert? You know, I have to say I, I'm, I was reminded this week of a place that I have not been to in a little while, but I used to go very frequently, which is Copenhagen. Nice. Um, and I absolutely love Copenhagen for sitting in bars. They have some of mm-hmm. the best bars in the world. Mm. Um, that make also fancy cocktails. Um, and you know, are you, you're familiar with the, the, and I will mispronounce it. It's the Higa, um, the, that it's, it's the, the English translation of Higa is, and, and I'm botching the pronunciation Uh badly, but so, you know, um, and the closest translation to it, and it's become very popular here in the U S which is a feeling of, it's that feeling of warmth ah, or comfort yes. or coziness yeah, yeah, yeah. or yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. But it's not the comfort or the coziness. It's the feeling that you get, right? Yeah. Which is why it's so hard to translate. Yeah, the Dutch, and, the Dutch have a similar expression. Um, 
God knows, I can't remember what it is. But yeah, it, I, it's the it's it, for some reason it's indefinable in English, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little bit right. Yeah. Perhaps because we struggled finding it so yeah. so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, but it's a lovely thing, and I find that many of the bars in 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 uh, in Denmark and certainly in in, in Copenhagen have it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so we're there. We're there, yeah. sitting on some nice, comfortable cushions um, in a very cozy place, um, having our uh, nice. wonderful neighbor um, rye whiskey and and grapefruit and orange bitters. Yeah, I was. Uh, I keep saying last year when the last time I did things, but of course now it's not. It's two years ago, isn't it? Because we've had a whole year of in lockdown, but. I was in Copenhagen year before last drinking cocktails and you'll be surprised to know they weren't all gin and tonics. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's a wonderful city. It's a wonderful city. Uh, one of my, one of my favorite absinthe drinks I had in Copenhagen. Oh. That was fabulous. Uh, I, the thing I like about absinthe is that feeling of, um, of naughtiness. Cause you, cause you know, it's got such a, a dreadful reputation and you're supposed to be going blind afterwards and stuff like that. And it was illegal, wasn't it for a while? And, it just it's it's got that frisson of uh, of excitement, I think, in absinthe. Yeah. Anyway, and the, and the color, the color of the drink yeah. is also it feels a bit Star Trekky when you're drinking absinthe. Yeah, that's true. So um, we're sitting in one of those wonderful bars in Copenhagen, and what are we talking about this week? Well, we're talking about measurement, which is not necessarily the most cozy of all topics. But but you know, here's the thing. This has got me thinking this week, and and I was actually speaking with a, a client on this on this matter. Mm-hmm. Which is why is it so damn hard to measure things um, in marketing and content marketing in particular? Mm-hmm. And we've just recently CMI, meaning we um, has just recently released research on content management and content strategy, which we do mm-hmm. every year. Mm-hmm. And interesting measurement is a part of that. And and so it's not that we don't measure. In the recent research, eighty percent said they measure. And it's not that we don't understand what the metrics mean, right? We understand mm-hmm. that about, you know, about half of the respondents in the research say that they can extract meaningful insights because they understand the metrics from the data and understand we, we know what, uh, you know, a visit, a download, a conversion means. We, mm-hmm. you know, we got that def- definition or... It's not the fact that we don't, certainly it's not the fact that we lack the technology to do it. I mean, you know, <laughs> give me more technology than no marketing person ever. Um, and so what is it? What's the problem that we have here? And what I came to in talking with my colleague here in, in, in terms of doing it was that we look at measurement as an engineering challenge rather than a design challenge. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, is that when you look at the difference between engineering and design, you know, and and there's lots of debates and arguments online about, you know, the true differences. But at its core, engineering is a problem that we have to solve. And we use deductive reasoning in order to solve it, right? So in mm-hmm. other words, we solve the problem by removing all of the bad answers or the worst answers or the least optimal answers. And we come away with the best answer and we have a solution for it. And that's in many ways the way we approach measurement. And Instead, it's really a design challenge, which is there is no problem yet. In other words, we don't understand the needs of all the people of what we would actually create Mm -hmm. yet. So we have to actually get a shared understanding and a shared purpose of what it is we're actually designing before we can actually go out and solve the problem. 
And that's the difference is that, you know, so I'll give you an example of this. And this happens all the time. And this was my colleague's problem, which is business executives, they're prioritizing growth and profitability. Yeah. Well, okay. So the business leaders deduce that they look at the existing revenue potential of the pipeline. That's a reasonable proxy for progress toward that goal, right? Mm -hmm. Profitability. Well, the marketing team responds by trying to pump more leads through that they hand over to the sales team. That may or may not equate to better profitability. And the sales team, by the way, responds by pushing more deals through the pipeline and trying to you know, lower the time that they're spending on any one deal. So yeah. they're just crashing more and more deals through the problem. And under, what ends up happening is, is that nobody has a shared understanding of what growth and profitability could mean to everybody. Mm -hmm. And so everybody makes up their own definition. And thus, we usually don't succeed. Even if we do succeed, we don't succeed because everybody thinks their problem is unique and different. Mm -hmm. And instead, what I find is, is that if we can go out and get that shared purpose, almost treat creating a measurement strategy like we would a creative strategy where we're pulling in the needs and wants of the various people and getting a shared purpose, treating it like a design challenge, we get a much better, uh, we get a much, much better result Yeah, because we get that share. We start with that shared purpose. Now, when we start applying things like data and metrics and things, everybody understands what progress means, what progress toward that shared purpose means. And we get a much better answer right. for it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And, um, and, uh, I know that we're short of time today because we were we were talking too much before I pressed record. But um, the uh, I, I love that I love this, I love to explore this more with you. Um, so, particularly when it comes to um, aligning with those executive goals of things like revenue and stuff, and and the fact that it does drive that behaviour. Oh, okay, so we need more revenue, therefore we need more MQLs, and if we need more MQLs, then we just need to fatten the pipe all the way up. And like you say, people then start behaving on their particular element of the chain but something gets lost along the way right because you start driving you drive, start driving vanity metrics at one point but it but somehow that then gets disconnected because that wasn't how you were generating leads and so many thoughts <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, it's really that's a really interesting that's really interesting well um so uh so what approach how do you how do you get people to take this approach when you're talking to clients well, it's taking a step back, right? I mm -hmm. mean, it, it's, you know, in, in so many ways, what happens in business these days is that we're siloed off from each other. And so the yeah. executives have their metrics. Yeah. The sales have their metrics. Marketing yeah. has their metrics. The content team has their metrics. And yeah. nobody bothers to go, well, what does it all mean, right? Mm -hmm. What are you solving for? Mm -hmm. And so... The content team, for example, can be extraordinarily successful against the metrics that they've been able to generate. Mm -hmm. But then you go over and look at sales and you go, yeah, they're they're not as successful or they're wildly successful too, but it has nothing to do with whatever right. you know the, right. the, the content team has done. Yeah. And so you can't connect those two things together. And so everybody goes, well, you were wonderfully successful, but what did you contribute? Yeah. And yeah. and and it's that. It, it's that, you know, I, I always tell the story. I love this story of, of <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the company that I worked with where they decided in one year, it was a great sort of siloed mm -hmm. little, you know, test tube experience because, or experiment rather, because 
they they hadn't done any marketing and in one year they added this whole e-commerce channel and all these new capabilities and new product lines etc in one year yeah and so the next year they go we're this is the year we're going to do marketing and so they launched everything they did online ads they did email they did content marketing they did seo they did all the things right yeah and hired a bunch of people and at the end of that year they grew they grew by about uh, about 120 percent and everybody was like over the moon right it worked it's fantastic and so they said let's figure out what worked and so they went back and they did all the metrics yeah. And they gave it to the CFO and the CFO looked at all those metrics and said, huh, that's interesting. If we had grown by what everybody says they contributed, sales, marketing, brand, <laughs> web team, e-commerce, team, we should have grown 600%. <laughs> and then they said, okay, well, wait a minute. Let's go back and look at each individual campaign and see what they did. Yeah. And without fail, they went and looked at each individual campaign. Yeah. And every single one of those campaigns either broke even or lost money. Right. Right. And so they went, well, what's the answer? Yeah. And the answer is marketing happened is what happened. Yeah. But they grew, but they have no idea what they did because they didn't get to a shared purpose and they didn't. Right. So everybody contributed something, but we don't yeah. know what because we didn't connect those things. <laughs> right. So it was like a cumulative effect, but nobody knows exactly what that effect was. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really interesting. And um, conscious of time, where, and when, um, where can people find thoughts just like this? They can find it on my little home on the mm-hmm. web, um, which is at contentadvisory.net. Excellent. And when they spin the dial on the interwebs? Uh, they can find me on all the social media channels except for Clubhouse, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is, uh, you know, I mean, on Twitter, I'm Robert underscore Rose. Um, and, you know, do a search on the rest. You'll find me. I, well, I certainly will do that. And I'll include all your links in the show notes. And will I see you in the bar next week? I know this is where you now live. Yes, you will, because apparently <laughs> I live here. <laughs> I look forward to that. Thank you very much, Robert. I'll see you then. Absolutely. Thank you, Robert. Measurement, always a hot topic, and I'll include a link to the research Robert referred to from the Content Marketing Institute in the show notes, and of course, all the links Robert referred to. So that's a wrap on episode 63 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Jeff, Mitra, and Robert. I really appreciate their time. So please thank them by checking out the show notes, clicking the links and follow them and take a look at their work. You can find the show notes at rockstarcmo.fm. We can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Let me know what you think. Please leave a rating, review and subscribe or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, I'm looking forward to chatting to Christina Del Villar, author of Sway, Implement the Grit Marketing Method to Gain Influence and Drive Corporate Strategy. Julie Ogilvy, former Forrester Research Director, who you might remember from episode 58, returns. And again, I'll join Robert Rose in our virtual Rockstar CMO bar. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Trescott, and I hope you'll again join us next week here at Rockstar CMO FM.
You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.